This is the Punk and Piledrivers Podcast with your host, Big Bad Boris. It is the mighty episode number 30 of the Punk and Piledrivers Podcast. If this episode was a WrestleMania, this episode would be the one where Daniel Bryan wins the title. My name is Big Bad Boris, and I'm joined by, I think, one of the best names in local independent professional wrestling, Mr. Keishi Matsunaga, the master of the sushi plex, buddy by Ido. How you doing, man? Good. Uh, neat little tidbit. I do share a birthday with Daniel Bryan, so that's kind of fun. Your birthday buddy's Daniel Bryan? Yes. Also have, nasty Nate Nixon. I have somebody really weird with mine. I can't remember who. To, I, have to, I should go back and check, but I do I do have one. I don't know if it's a wrestling person, but it's something, somebody really, really weird in my is, is my birthday, my birthday twin. Oh, that's awesome. Daniel, are you older than Daniel Bryan? Uh, I might be, or he might be just like a little bit older than me, but very close. It's not polite to ask a gentleman his age, right? Uh, I'm, I don't care. I'm 38. I just <laughs> turned 38. 30. Oh, you're a young, spry spring chicken. I mean, I'm I'm pretty spry for what I thought I would be at 38, so everything's good, man. Fair enough. Now, I first met you, I want to say it was not the first clandestine live event, correct? No, I was, was, uh, I was not at that one. It was it was at one of the tapings, right? Yes, uh, number two. Now, this is something that I wanted to talk to you about, and I was actually going to do it off the air, but I thought I'd do it on the air because it's it's kind of odd and interesting to me because uh, I met you at that taping, and you were automatically super super cool with me and, and spoke to me like like you knew me and I felt really bad because again I've lived in my PWA bubble for so long that I didn't really know a lot about you and I kind of felt really bad about it because you spoke very like nicely to me like like we were friends and I felt bad it was kind of like this one time years and years and years ago when I was doing street team for some local radio here in Edmonton and this guy came up to me while I was doing an event and he started hey Boris how you doing start talking about, about wrestling and local wrestling like he knew me and I had no idea who, and I talked to him for a few minutes. And I had no idea who the hell this guy was. And it turned out that it was Thaddeus Archer, who I've now become pretty good friends with. So if I came off in a bad way at all during any of that, I'd like to apologize. Oh, no, not at all. And I mean, like, the only thing I knew you from was from watching Clandestine number one. Oh, okay. uh, and like, yeah, you and you and uh, Mike and all the other guys who jumped in on the commentary and stuff. So, um, yeah, when you guys were there doing commentary from Clandestine number two, I was just like, oh, sweet. We're going to have some awesome commentary to go with this great wrestling. Were you at the, the first clandestine show? Uh, uh, no, um, I was kind of, I had only just gotten back into wrestling for probably about, I would say a month before that happened. So I don't think like anybody running that show one knew that I was back involved in wrestling or anything like that. So I watched it uh, after the fact online. Because I went to your, 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 I tried to do some research on you and I went to your cage match and it said that you were retired as of 2014. Well, see, I went on an indefinite hiatus. I, that's at least that's what I called it. I was hoping at some point that I would be back. I didn't know when, uh, basically what happened was I was just about to have a kid and, um, I was just about to have a kid as a single dad. So I was kind of like, well, if I'm going to do this by myself, I better not put my body at risk in case I have to, you know, I don't want to try and take care of a small, helpless, tiny human with broken bones or injuries or anything like that. 
that's called being a responsible parent. I like it. So let's yeah. go all the way back to the beginning and how this all started. What are the first memories of when you saw professional wrestling as, as a kid or maybe later on in life as, as, a, as a teenager? How did this all kind of begin? Um, I definitely, I'm pretty sure my father exposed me to wrestling back when I was like, a fair, uh, I don't know, probably four or five years old. I don't know exactly what, like the first time I saw wrestling, but my most vivid memory was watching Ricky Steamboat go to the ring. This was back in his like breathing fire dragon days. So his second run in WWF and like, yeah, I was like, oh, this guy's like a, he's wearing this crazy. And then he spat fire and I got hooked. (laughs) That's when he had like the, the, like the dragon gear. Yeah. The, like the scales and stuff. Yeah. Like I just thought that was super cool. And like, um, I'm very much, that's probably why I'm such a big proponent of like the performance aspect of wrestling stuff like that is, is really what drew me in. Do you think steamboat doesn't get his due as one of the best ever? I don't from a, I think from like a perspective of maybe you're just regular run of the mill fan, or if you look at it in maybe from a perspective of like, from a, perspective of wrestling companies maybe but you talk to anybody who's like a good wrestling fan or a wrestler in general and i mean everybody says nothing but great things about ricky steamboat so i don't think he maybe i he didn't get maybe his due from a perspective of like winning titles or getting a push that maybe he should have gotten but Mm -hmm. from like a worker's perspective i think everybody has respect for ricky steamboat i definitely do because rick flair said that one of the only things keeping him from being one of the best ever is that he never worked heel that's possible but if you look at his legacy and kind of and it's hard to say because it never happened right Mm -hmm. you go well what could he have been a good heel it and if you look at his personality and what he did as you know for his run maybe not you know everybody kind of as far as from what i've heard he's the like um he's like the textbook definition of a babyface wrestler absolutely so when did it uh, transfer uh when you were younger to to watching this to this is maybe something that i might want to do uh probably sometime in junior high school i never really like i didn't watch consistently only because i didn't know when it was on and i didn't understand how to work a TV guide. There's a dated <laughs> reference for all you yeah. young bucks out there. That's old school. Yeah, man. The the newspaper TV guide that came every Friday. <laughs> I love so, that shit. Yeah, and then, you know, it's a struggle between watching cartoons and watching wrestling. So usually it's back when cable boxes didn't exist and you go scrolling through the channels because you have to flip the one by one to find something on. Then you fi- I find wrestling and I just stop and watch. And that's primarily how i kind of watched it up until i discovered monday night raw when i was in junior high i had a bunch of friends we were all kind of into wrestling and stuff like that um so once i figured out oh wrestling happens every monday then i started watching it consistently or if i couldn't watch it on mondays i would record it and watch it back later now you're from calgary correct born and raised uh, um where did you go to junior high uh colonel Irvin. where did you go to high school uh, uh john diefenbaker oh you're a diefenbaker i'm a crescent heights guy myself oh nice yeah <laughs> but like nobody i know really went to, to school in calgary so i can't really talk shit about anything because everyone well, I like because I, I live i've been living here in edmonton since 97 and 
you know, everyone talks yeah. about, oh, I went to to Harry Ainley. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I can't talk shit. <laughs> anyway, so training. Did you did you do a heart thing or did you do something else? Uh, kind of a heart thing. I did a Teddy heart thing. A Teddy um, heart thing. Yeah. We'll so tread, we'll when tread I, on this very carefully. Oh, it'll be fine. <laughs> uh, when I I'm, got to I'm high not. school, uh, I was in my drama class and um, another guy in my drama class just through doing random goofy shit in class uh we both discovered that we were both wrestling fans so instant friends um and then around december he was just like hey i found an ad for a wrestling school do you want to go check it out i'm like hell yeah let's go check this out because in the back of my head wanted to be a wrestler Mm -hmm. so uh me him and this other guy that we were going to school with we went and checked it out um and it was being run by ted hart and tj wilson uh, AKA Tyson kid BJ's so, gym, I assume. Yes, sir. BJ's okay. gym. Yeah. Um, so we both went, we kind of watched a practice go on, just checked it out. And, you know, I watched it happen and I was like, Oh, this is sweet. I want to do this. And so that was probably mid December. And I started like January, 2000 as like whatever the first day of training was then. And I was there. Now, these other two knuckleheads that you went with or that went with you, whatever became of them? Uh, one joined me. Okay. Uh, and he uh, he ended up being the brother of one ravenous Randy Myers. Uh, his name was Patrick Myers. I don't know if you... Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So me, me and Patrick Myers uh, went to high school together. And we started training at the same time. Right on. And then the other guy just kind of, he was, uh, his, didn't work with his schedule or something like that. He just didn't come. Okay, and, and and talk about training with so it was with Ted and TJ. Yes, uh, so I mean that's a, that's a good education. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, you know, it was it wasn't like as regimented as a lot of wrestling schools that you hear about in general, uh, because at the time, like Ted and TJ were probably nineteen ish years old, so they were still pretty young. Um, we got a little bit. It was kind of like. Here's your kind of general stuff, learn to run ropes, learn to bump, stuff like that. And then the last half of practice is like, all right, what do you want to learn? Oh, well, can we try this? Sure. You try it on the crash pad. If they think that you can do it okay, they move the crash pad and you do it in the ring. That's how quite a few, like that's how a lot of stuff that I've seen around here over the years. There's been like, obviously like Lance has a very regimented camp, but a lot of the ones around here, it's just like the ring is set up somewhere and the guys just trying to kind of come and hang out and and do the best they can and, and teach the guys what they can. But I think that's, that's not necessarily a bad way to learn. No. And I mean, it was kind of cool because it like, it didn't feel like, it didn't feel like we were doing like work, but -hmm. at the same time we were still learning and like we were able to kind of like collaborate together on like oh if you kind of do it like this you might have an easier time doing the move and it was very like kind of everybody sort of worked together it was very cool so was the the re the retooling of stampede was that running at this time I, my timeline's all messed up i can't remember anything yeah so like that was like uh the a channel stampede wrestling yeah yeah on yeah TV on saturdays yeah. yeah so that was running and um that was one of those things where it was like oh okay so then uh, I got into this wrestling class and then I was surfing channels on a Saturday morning. I'm like, Oh, wrestling. Oh, there's Ted. Oh, there's TJ. Mm-hmm. This is Calgary. <laughs> and that was like my first, my first exposure to quote unquote independent wrestling. I didn't even know it existed. All I knew was WW 
F slash E in WCW. So that was kind of cool to be able to kind of watch like local guys do things locally. And it was one of those things of like, oh, okay. So there's a chance that like, there's more of a chance. It kind of gave me that, like, I could actually maybe make a run at this. This is very cool. So how long from the training to you having, having a match, like in front of a crowd? Uh, that would have been probably about a year and a half. See, that's a lot. See, it's weird because some of the guys I've talked to had like, I had my first match three months in and then you've had your first match a year and a half in. And then, and I don't think there's any right or wrong kind of way to do it. How did you feel about waiting that long? Uh, well, I mean, I didn't know any better, so I was perfectly fair, fine with fair. it. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, it was just kind of like, you just kind of go, you train to be a wrestler. And I think part of the reason was because we were all, most of us were under the age of 18. Ah, okay. So it was like, it was a kid's camp four kids so a lot of us just by basically like well we can't really put you in the ring because you're not old enough yet and so i think a lot of that was a factor as in why it was so much training and then um then all all of a sudden came matt rats the kids wrestling promotion and that gave us kind of a platform to have matches and that's where i had my first match all right so i want to talk about that because matt rats you and i talked about this uh, uh, recently over the past couple of weeks because I had, or have, I guess I should say, in my possession a couple of, of Matt Rat shows in my, in my uh, collection. Uh, I tape traded for many, many years in the, in the late 90s and early 2000s, and a lot of those tapes uh, I took and transferred to DVDs, and I have these two big books full of DVDs, and I recently bought a giant hard drive, and I digitized all those DVDs just because it's a lot of fun old stuff that you can't really find anywhere else. And I have two Matt Rat shows, and I don't remember who I got them from, but uh, you and Spencer Love both kind of freaked out when I, when I said I had those Matt Rat shows, and you guys wanted to get your hands on them. So Matt Rats, tell me about how you got involved with that, because there was a big buzz around this when it first happened, because Eric Bischoff's name was attached to it. Yeah, um, so I don't know like the exact details of kind of how it got going. Um, I know there you you would have to talk to guys like Ted and TJ, but um, my understanding of it was uh, Ted got in contact with a gentleman who um, owns or co-owned a um, production company of some sort, uh, and he kind of liked the idea of having like wrestling but it was kids wrestling versus uh, adults. Cause it was kind of like, um, you know, Ted and TJ and stampede were doing the style of wrestling. That seems to be very prevalent today, mm-hmm. you know, young buck style, high flying stuff like that. Um, and that's kind of this, a lot of the stuff that we were doing. So he was like, Oh, I'm interested in putting this youth federation together. Uh, so we kind of got together with them. Uh, then at some point I'm by hooker crook. I don't know how Eric Bischoff, uh, and his production company got involved. So um, him and Jason Hervey came. I was going to, I was going to ask, was this a Hervey thing as well? I would assume it was they, definitely, a Herb- they were quite joined at the hip for Herbie quite thing. some time back then. Yeah. And that was their, that was their big thing. So we did, uh, we did a kind of a show for them. Um, most of the crowd, I believe was extras actually. Um, and so we had a whole bunch of matches and he seemed to like, uh, what we did there and we did um, this big show at the palace uh, in that summertime of that would have been 2001, I think. And then uh, everything looked super good. And then all of a sudden we didn't really hear much after that. Um, 
sometime between summer and I want to say like October, November, uh, those shows that you got your hands on happened. Uh, then Christmas happened and then everything went radio silent. <laughs> Cause there was a lot of buzz about this at the time. I remember a lot of people talking about it and, and there was some teaser trailers that, that looked really slick. And like, this is the first time I remember, you know, wrestling companies had, I don't know if they called it the launch pad, but they had like the platforms on the corners that you see sometimes in some places. So there was a lot of buzz about it. Yeah, it was like, it was super cool. We had some like really cool guys come in uh some of the younger guys from stampede wrestling came in like uh apocalypse and dave swift dwight um shoot i can't remember his last name right now <laughs> uh yeah a bunch of guys came from stampede a bunch of guys came up from the states so like jack evans was involved mm-hmm. i was gonna say i know jack was there too yeah yeah so i mean i it was super cool and it was like literally just in Instead of training at BJ's gym, we were just training at this studio uh, with a wrestling ring that had launch pads in it. And we did a lot of really cool stuff. It was a lot of fun to do that. Super cool. All right. We were able to. Now, part of the beauty of the Punk and Potterverse podcast is the music aspect. I love music. And I know that just about everybody has some sort of, of love or like of music. So I like to incorporate that into what we do here. So I asked you to pick a couple of songs. I want to talk about the dreaded first match. Cause I love getting people's first match stories, but first we're going to throw to your first track. And this is, uh, which one did I pick? Uh, this is, uh, it's called a song called your wife is calling. It's from the sound city players. Now, was this from a movie? I don't really know much about this. It sounds like a, like a soundtrack to a, to a movie or a documentary. Explain this to me. Yeah, so um, this is basically a documentary that Dave Grohl had lead singer of the Foo oh, Fighters. Oh, the Sound City Studio, or yeah, oh, okay, so he did right. the documentary about the Sound City Studio, and like, I mean, that studio made like a whole bunch of Grammy award winning albums. Nevermind was recorded there. A bunch of Fleetwood Mac stuff, Tom Petty, you name it. People ran through that studio, and so when the studio closed in 2011, I want to say, um, Dave Grohl bought the soundboard because that was one of the things that they oh, said yeah, i remember reading about this yeah and then so in 2013 he kind of did like a documentary about the place brought in a whole bunch of like people to collab in this album so it was like a mishmash of all kinds of people are on the on this album um and so i picked this track one because i thought the documentary is cool the history of that soundboard is cool and the lead singer of the song is leaving from fear which is punk rock this uh, that documentary sounds like something to be right up my alley. I should definitely check yeah, that out. It is it is super cool. That's something that I think you definitely would enjoy if you checked it out. Well, I'm going to add that to my list of things to do. This is the Sound City Players. This is your wife is calling on the Punk and Powder podcast.
That was the Sound City Players. Your wife is calling on the Punk and Powderverse podcast with Keishi Matsunaga. Every time I hear your name, I think of uh, of Matsunaga, the, the the deathmatch Japanese guy. Is there any correlation to that, or am I uh, reaching for something that's not there? Uh, you're kind of reaching for something that's there. <laughs> I got the name from Jack Evans. Oh, okay. Um, because Keishi is like my shoot middle name because I'm half Japanese. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we were doing Matt Rats... Um, the producer, the guy who owned the production company, he wanted to call me Kato Chan, which, which is Chinese, which is That's fine. Ch- but Ch- I was just kind of, <laughs> yeah. And so I was just like, well, I'm J- Japanese. Could I be a Japanese wrestler instead? He's like, oh, yeah, that's fine. And I'm like, sweet. And he's like, yeah, just pick a name. So I'm like, well, I want to use my middle name because it's Japanese and that was easy. And then I was like, well, I need a Japanese last name, which I mean, typically, when you have a Japanese wrestler, their last names are long and hard to pronounce. Yes. So I'm walking around being like, I need, I need some sort of Japanese last name that's long and hard to pronounce. And Jack Evans is like, oh, just use Matsunaga. I like that. I there's a wrestler named Matsunaga. He's cool. I'm like, okay, sweet, I'll do that. And then after the fact, once the internet became more of a thing, I'm like, oh, I'm going to see who this other guy is. And then he was a deathmatch wrestler. I'm like, well, that's never going to be me. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of him though. He's like from back. Like, I'm sure he's still around. I don't know if he's actually working or not, but he's one of those guys from like that mid nineties, like big Japan, FMW, uh, piranha tanks and all that kind of stuff. And I love that old shit. That's like some of the stuff I first got when I started tape trading. So yeah. always a big fan of Matsunaga. So I kind of pop for that. I think that's cool. Yeah. Now, so the, yeah, there's a little bit of a, of a correlation there for sure. <laughs> all right. Um, tell me about the first match. Cause first matches, as I always say, they go one of two ways. They go, you know what? That was all right. Or, Oh my God, I'm quitting the business and I'm never doing this again. Who was the first match? And uh, it was at Matt rats, right? Yes, it was a triple threat between myself, Pete Wilson, who I'm I'm sure you know. Of course. And uh his good buddy uh Nate. So the three of us had a triple threat match. Nate Nog? Uh, yes, Nate Nog. Okay. Um we had a triple threat match. It went very well because um we practiced it for like I want to say 2 months before we had it. Um so not a whole lot of mistakes, but also like it's your typical, you know, first match where everything felt, if you go back and watch it, I'm like, oh, we could have slowed down. We could have spent a little more time selling, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, your stereotypical rookie match, but everything kind of went off without a hitch. We did this crazy um, her Karana Northern Light suplex off of the corner slash launch pad gimmick, and I got destroyed, but it was super fun. Is is this on either one of those shows that I have? No. So the shows Damn that it. you have um, were ones that were a couple of these weird, quote unquote, house shows that we did. Because they uh, were way less uh, less shiny, if I, for lack of a better term, than, yeah. the, than like the sizzle reel hat. Yeah. So these were done just kind of as house shows um, for fun. Uh, all the people in the crowd were actual fans, not so much extras. And that those two shows that you were actually did were filmed on my dad's video camera. What which venue is, was that at? Do you remember? So that was the actual Matt Rat studio that they created. Um, oh, and it was okay. over in, yeah, it was over in Radisson Heights, just kind of off eighth Avenue. Okay. Um, it is now like a better business bureau thing. Um, but yeah, so like it was like this kind of big studio sort of space. There were a whole bunch of risers and a ring in the middle. Um, Yes, that was, but so that was those two 
quote unquote shows were taped on. Yeah. My dad's video camera that he bought to uh, film me and my brother playing various sports and all kinds of fun stuff. And so we used it to tape those wrestling shows, which was super cool until I lost the tapes, which is why I was like super stoked that you had them. <laughs> Again, and I don't know where the hell, like it had to have been like 20 years, over 20 years ago. Oh yeah. I don't know where the hell I got them from. They were sitting on a VHS tape and then I burned them onto a DVD and now they're on a hard drive. And yeah, I, ma- cool. I made, I made a bunch of copies for people. Uh, and then, um, the one copy I had, I lent to someone, uh, with the promise of getting it back and I never did. And it kind of disappeared from the annals of time and the, the like master tape that we had, we needed for something else that got recorded over. And so it disappeared and it broke my tiny little heart and you've rebuilt it back. Oh, well, look at me. You weren't a tape trader at all, were you? Maybe I traded you. No, I was no? not a tape trader. <laughs> I did not know what tape trading was. I was very like uh, uh, wrestling horse blinders on. But um, some of the other Matt Rats matches they have, I have copies of on a super old, old, dilapidated, physically damaged hard drive and a laptop that I bought in like 2004. I kept the laptop. It's just, it's like $600 to get it restored. So oh. it's just been kind of sitting in the back of my closet. Well, if you ever do like that, a time then I, capsule. I oh that. yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm the plan is because um, one of the wrestlers from the Matt rats days is like, uh, he's like an it guy now. So oh, the plan okay. is there to get go. the laptop to him so that he can hopefully recover those matches and, basically everybody involved and anybody who wants it can have a copy of those matches, which is the hope. That's uh, not what you know. It's who, you know, now let's go back to that first match. You said you guys practice it for, for a month and a half. And, and there's, there's some people that I've, I've known and I've talked to over the years who kind of frown upon that. I had a friend who talked like I, I hold steamboat savage from WrestleMania three in very high esteem, just because like when I was, 11 years old, it blew my doors off and it was great. And, and a few people I know kind of talked down about that match because, oh, they practiced it on house shows and Macho Man wrote it out move for move. But, you know, you still got to go out there and do it. You know, when the, when the pressure's on and there's 90,000 plus, you still got to go out there and perform. How do you feel about that? Uh, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm either way about it. I've been in matches where, you know, like my first match, we practiced it a bunch of times. I've been in matches where, I, I tend to, you know, I'll write a lot of stuff down because Mm -hmm. my brain doesn't work like it used to not necessarily everything, but like, you know, your main points that you want to get across that you want to get in there. Absolutely. I'll write down. I've wrestled guys who kind of just like, all right, uh, here's how we'll finish. And the rest will kind of figure out when you're out there, which is also fine too. I, I mean, I'm pretty laid back. I kind of just roll with the punches. I do whatever the other person is comfortable with. So. Because when I had my one match with Andy Anderson that I know I like to glorify and talk about all the time, but it was it's it's really special to me. We went over it a thousand times, and I was still terrified until yeah. it was over. I would like it, but I'm not a wrestler, you know. I don't go out and do this every week, every month. But I was just absolutely scared to death, not of getting hurt, but just of like fucking the whole thing up and making Andy look stupid. Oh, a hundred. I mean, you look at you look at like people who do plays on Broadway, Mm -hmm. like the most sought after venues for stage performance in the world. They practice. Why can't we, if we want to, of course, we're a performance art. 
if we want to practice beforehand, I think that's fine. If you're comfortable with someone because you've wrestled them a bunch of times and you can be like Flair Steamboat in 89 and just go out there and feel it, all the power to you, man. Whatever, I'm I'm a big proponent of like whatever's going to be comfortable for the guy I'm working with that will bring out the best performance in both of us. Because at the end of the day, it's a performance and I want to make sure that the people are entertained. So where, once Matt Ratz kind of took the big dirt nap, where did you go from there? Um, so that kind of disappeared. I decided that it was more important for me to graduate high school, which I did. Loser. Just kidding. yeah. Oh, Hey, <laughs> uh, I'm about as square as they come. I'll tell you that right now. Um, and then, uh, I did, uh, I got a quick little tiny summer job at the Calgary stampede. And then oh, after what that, doing what? uh, I was an usher. So I was in the grandstand. Oh, look at you. Yeah. I got you- all kinds of fun ushering stories between the stampede and, working for the Calgary flames. We can oh, talk about uh, that. Okay, we can talk about that much later. <laughs> that'll be your second podcast. If you're, I'd like to hear all about all a hundred percent. I'm okay. going to talk about any of that stuff. Hell yeah. Um, and then, so after the stampede, I was just like, okay, well, I don't really know what's going on. Uh, I found out some of the, uh, some of the other guys were training up at the hard house. Um, so I found out what time, when there was some training, I went up there. I had about two training sessions uh, and I talked to, uh, I can't remember who I t- talked to up there. It was one of the hearts. Um, and they kind of gave me the spiel about, um, what I would need to do. And unfortunately at the time I did not have the funds in order to do that. So Fair. I kind of, I kind of closed the door on that part of my life for a while. Um, then I just kind of, I spent a bunch of years just doing whatever, going after other careers, living life, uh, occasionally, going to uh, stampede shows and then stampede shows turned into PWA shows. Uh, One time after a show, I was talking to one ravenous Randy Myers found out that he was doing training back at BJ's gym again. So this was probably, I want to say 2009, 2008, somewhere in there. I could be wrong on the date. Um, And I was like, Oh sweet. Do you mind if I come down? He's like, no, not at all. So went back down just started training again and then probably after about a year of just kind of training for the fun of training uh, i started working matches for rcw now where did the whole Edo thing come from um that came from my uh return after my indefinite hiatus that i started in 2014 mm-hmm. um that's a funny story too i was, was actually at an rcw show sitting in the lobby of the Legion downtown on the floor. And I checked in on Facebook because, you know, that's what cool kids do on the social media. Right. And all of a sudden, uh, Steven Stiles, owner and promoter of RCW, comes running out into the lobby. And he's doing that like like he's looking for somebody. But I'm sitting on the floor and he's standing probably about three feet away from me looking around for someone standing up. And I'm just like, oh, he's looking for me. So I was like, hey, are you looking for me? He's like, yeah, can you work? Well, I don't have anything here. Hey, man, rule number one, dude. Well, yeah, but I mean, at that point, <laughs> so I was like, I mean, if, if you don't care that I don't have any gear, he's like, yeah, sure. I'm like, sweet. Um, and then, so yeah, uh, I ended up jumping in an impromptu tag match with Wavel Star against, oh, cool. yeah, against Matt Hart and Dwight Davis. And then, yeah, I kind of, that was October, like late October, 2019. So like I said, about a month before clandestine, mm-hmm. 
uh, worked a bunch of shows up until the ill-fated pandemic of 2020. Mm, I'm, I've heard of it. And I've been, I've been kind of in the ring ever since. So how does the body feel? Um, not as good as it did when I started training at 15. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> so you mentioned having a child. How old is the child now? If I may ask, he's eight. So does he come to watch the shows? Sometimes. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, I tend to like, I work around when I have him because of course, of course I am a, I am a strict square parent. Like I said before, his bedtime is at eight o'clock, which means no wrestling shows for him when I'm wrestling. You're not a square parent. You're, you're a good parent. Yes. I'm very regimented. Um, so the weekends that he's with his mom are the weekends that I wrestle, uh, a few times, uh, she has brought him down to watch. Uh, usually if I'm earlier on the card, Mm -hmm. um, one time I did, uh, she had some sort of emergency. So I took him on a Friday that I wasn't necessarily supposed to have him but i already committed to the wrestling so he came with me i wrestled early and i left right after um that was interesting because i kind of i thought i had kind of smartened him up to the business so to say oh, okay um, that was gonna but, be my next question <laughs> yeah but i didn't i guess to the point where he understood that when daddy's getting kicked in the face in the ring i'm okay okay so after the match i came through the curtain and he was sitting up on stage of the sound booth and Someone grabbed my attention and be like, your kid's looking for you. I turned over and he just like, he had the most broken hearted look on his face. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh no, I'm okay. I'm okay. So after that, and I kind of explained to him, like, you know, when you're like basically beating up me and I pretend that I'm hurt and stuff, it's just like that. It's just, instead of you beating me up, it's adult men. And we're fine after that. He's come to a couple of shows that I've done during the day and he just has a ball. He loves it. He like, uh, you saw him at the, at the dome show and he was, he was like 500% in. It's awesome. I was happy to see you at that dome show. Just right, right by the entranceway. I was like, Hey, there's my man. That was cool. Yeah, it was awesome. Like, and I mean, I like, we showed up with like maybe 10 minutes left in the hockey game. Cause I'm like, well, I want to go watch the wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, being a Calgary kid and being a Flames fan, those dome shows are, are really special and they're a lot of fun for me. So what does the future hold for you in terms of the business? This is just like just just good times and, and you're just going to kind of go for as long as you can? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I'm going to get too far out of Alberta. Maybe if I can venture into some of the other neighboring province and stuff, I have no plans of going to any of the bigger companies. It'd be sweet if I did, but my life and you know my dedication to being a dad and being there for my kid for all of his stuff hinders me from doing that but that's a choice that i consciously make uh i'm this i have this weird like polar opposite dreams of one being a wrestler but also i had just as big of a dream to become a father and so opposite ends of the spectrum and i kind of make the balance work as i do plus i mean they're younger cooler people out there that probably <laughs> deserve the push more than I do. So I'm perfectly happy being a guy who can put on good matches with these guys and hopefully get some of the younger talents, some of the talent that want to go further than, you know, indie wrestling in Western Canada. Uh, if I can help them put together 
highlight reels and stuff to get them booked in bigger places. I'm all for that. Yeah, but uh, people people speak highly of you. I was talking to Taryn at uh, at the Love Show on Friday, and and that you were going to be on this week, and she was saying how much she likes you. I mean, I just I just try to, I don't know. I try to be a good person. I try to. You know, I try to be nice in the locker room. I try to elevate all the people that I work with. I'm not there. I think the fact that I'm not there to try and get myself over probably helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I just want to put out the best product that we can so that the people who pay their hard earned money, which especially nowadays is very hard oh, yeah. to earn oh, yeah. that when they make that choice to come watch us, I want them to walk away feeling like they made the right choice. So, and you can't do that, you know, trying to get just all your shit in brother and, (laughs) and work for you. It's, it's a collaboration. You've got to work together with the people that you're in the ring with. So that's kind of what I do. All right. So the time is running out. Unfortunately, Uh, if anybody wants to sponsor this podcast and buy me a year of zoom so I can do a podcast longer than 40 minutes, then uh, hit me up because I'm all ears. Uh, quickly give us your social medias and then we're going to go to your last track which is uh, by a band called Probot. The, the song is called Shake Your Blood which is a fantastic name for a song and maybe like a name of a GCW show but uh, quickly in uh, two minutes or less hit us up with your socials and tell me why you picked this song. It'll be I'm, super easy. I'm very unprofessional I know. <laughs> oh it's all good. I, I love it. Um, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Kyle Driver uh, so it's like Pile Driver but if you replace the P with a K you get Kyle Driver. Those are my Instagram and Twitter socials. Um, I do have a fan page on Facebook. It's Keishi Matsunaga. Uh, I understand if you can't find it because Keishi Matsunaga. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, those are basically my socials. Uh, I'm not super active on them because I'm terrible at social media. I'm naturally uh, more of an introvert mm-hmm. um, in my daily life. So I go, well, nobody really needs to know what I'm doing with my life. And that's that. Um, yes, this song, Shake Your Blood, uh, by a band named Probot, which is once again a side project of Dave Grohl because he is my favorite musical human ever. Um, but I didn't want to just do Foo Fighter songs. So Dave Grohl made a metal album um, back in, I don't even remember when. And so he wrote all the music and collaborated with a bunch of basically who's who in metal, King Diamond. Uh, Let Me Kill Meister, which is part of the Shake Your Blood song. And so um, he wrote a bunch of the songs. Then anybody that he had come on and do the vocals, he let them write their own parts if they played instruments. Uh, So this one, Shake Your Blood, is um, basically one of the main tracks on the album. It was one they made a music video with featuring Lemmy of Motorhead. He wrote the bass track and does the lyrics. Uh, It is just a song that just like hammers it home and it like it literally shakes my blood it pumps me up and gets me ready to go right on uh i want to thank you for doing this you you come across like such a just like a stand-up dude and i think that's really awesome oh hey anytime man if you uh if you run out of cool people and you want to want to scrape the bottom of the barrel again oh, i'm stop always it. game stop <laughs> it all right i want i'm gonna want some usher uh, uh stories at the saddle dome so i think that sounds uh, really awesome so you're definitely gonna be penciled in for the future maybe you can come uh myself and michael fitzpatrick are planning a big podcast barbecue event at his place so maybe we're just gonna bring a bunch of people over there hey I man will... if i can uh, uh if i can find the time to make it up there and do so uh you can count me in 100%. hell yeah all right thank you for t- uh, for for checking out the podcast this week this is for robots this is Shake Your Blood, and we will hopefully be back again next week.